morning, church. If you have a Bible with you, if you'll take it and turn to Genesis chapter 39. And as you are finding your place this morning, I want to take just a moment to thank Dr. Merritt once again for uh, the opportunity to stand before you, to open up God's Word, and to deliver his message for us this morning. And secondly, just to tell you how much my wife and I love Crosspoint Church. We were talking the other day, we've been here three years next month, and it has been a whirlwind of a three years, and we are excited we get to serve here at Crosspoint. But church, if you're familiar with sports at all, you know that one of the best ways to improve is to watch film. And watching the game film or the game tape helps you see your mistakes from different angles to help you improve both individually as well as collectively on your team. And my high school basketball coach loved to watch film. And every film session came with its own challenges of having to watch yourself and and grade yourself and listen to feedback from our coaching staff. And at the beginning of every film session, our high school basketball coach, I love him dearly, he would sit us down, he would look at us, and he would say the same exact phrase over and over. And that phrase was this, the tape never lies. Without fail, we would sit down to watch our our previous game, and he would always tell us the tape never lies. We would watch the game film at the end of every session, then we would head right out to practice and try to improve upon our mistakes that we made in the previous game. So church, during the month of July, we are studying the life of Joseph, and we are looking at how God is intricately and intimately involved in the life of Joseph from the very beginning of his life all the way to the very end. And today, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 39, to the last portion of that, to study the film of Joseph's life together. So I want to set the stage for you. I want you to imagine we are in a dark film movie kind of room. The lights are dim. We pick up the remote. We press play. And we begin to watch Joseph's life on repeat over and over and over. And as we walk through Genesis 39, I want you to ask this question to yourself. What can I learn from the tape of Joseph's life that will help me make my life count for Jesus? So right before we read, let's recap where are we at in Genesis 39. We know that Joseph grew up as his father's favorite, and because of that, his brothers grew up to hate him. They hated him so much, they threw him in a pit, made up this whole fake story that they, he was uh, uh, eaten by a wild animal, They eventually hate him even more than that, and they sell him into slavery. Joseph then makes his way to Egypt. After 11 years for working as a slave, he then gets promoted, and everything is under his watch, the Bible says. And if you remember last week, we ended our time in reading verse 10 and looking at how Potiphar's wife, the man whom Joseph was working for, was constantly trying to seduce Joseph, was constantly trying to get him to sleep with her, but we're going to find out today that she sets a trap for Joseph. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 39. We'll start reading in verse 10. The Bible says this, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, but I cried out with a loud voice. 
And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and he fled and he got out of the house. Verse 16, then she laid up his garment by her till his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. And as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and he put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Verse 21, don't forget this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So church, as we're watching the tape of Joseph's life unfold, what must we learn from that in order to make our life count for Jesus? Number one, we must learn to run from temptation. We must learn to run from temptation. We find this in verses 10 through 15. We find that Joseph comes into the house of Potiphar to do his work like he does every single day. Remember, he worked for this guy named Potiphar who was the chief executioner. He was known as the captain of the guard and he so trusted Joseph, he put everything under his control. Joseph was his guy, he was his man for the hour. Yet this particular day, Joseph walks in. He looks around, he notices it's a little bit more quiet than normal. He walks in and finds there are no other workers there. It seems a bit odd, it seems a bit weird. The Bible doesn't really tell us why, if I had to venture a guess, Potiphar's wife probably had something to do with it. Might've said, hey, here's some money, go, go take a day off. She might've said, hey, I'm gonna send you on some errands to do something else for me. But regardless, we know the house is empty and she makes her move. But this time, Potiphar's wife is not gonna take no for an answer. She goes beyond verbal advances and she physically grabs a hold of Joseph. And she holds tight, church, but what does Joseph do? Joseph fled, Joseph ran. And when he ran, he left his outer garment in her hands. Now we could stop right there and spend the rest of our time looking at that because that is a strong message. You see, Joseph ran away from temptation. Remember, it was day after day, week after week, and month after month that Potiphar's wife was trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. But Joseph was having none of it. You see, the Bible is clear on the teaching of temptation as a whole, but specifically sensual temptation in this passage. You see, 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this. It says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Don't just flee youthful passions and temptation and run aimlessly, but we run towards righteousness. We run towards God. We run to Jesus. You see, the Bible is clear. It tells us don't sit around and think on it. Don't ponder it, don't let it linger. It says to run, it says to flee, it says to get out of there. You see, if we are not actually running away from temptation, then we have a tendency to at least let it linger in our presence. That's why the Bible commands us to do the only safe thing, which is to run away from the lust of the flesh as fast as we possibly can. Because if you are, it's hard to give in to temptation if you're running away from something. 
That's the mental image the Bible wants us to have. And church, if you've ever watched National Geographic Channel, you've probably seen a show called Planet Earth. And this show basically depicts how animals act in the wild. And there's one episode that I love specifically that shows a cheetah chasing an antelope. And if you watch it, you'll find there are two keys of success for the antelope to avoid becoming lunch. One is recognition. As the antelope's going about its day, doing antelope things, whatever they do, it has to recognize the danger. It has to recognize and be alert and aware of its surroundings. It has to know that the cheetah is close. But it's not just good enough to recognize and you just stare at the cheetah and watch it come and eat it, that once it recognizes the cheetah is close, then it's gotta escape. Then it's gotta run. And it has to run like it's never ran before. Because if you watch the show enough, you'll find that if the cheetah gets too close, the chances of survival for that antelope goes lower and lower and lower. You see, church, the same thing is true in your life. We can't let temptation get too close. We must recognize which temptation trips us up. We must recognize it and keep it at a distance. We must be alert. We must be aware. And then at a moment's notice, church, we must run. Run like we've never ran before. Not aimlessly, but to something, to righteousness and to Jesus. The author of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. But then if you're like me in reading this, maybe some other people in the room, you might have asked yourself this question. Well, why would Joseph leave his coat behind? Like, how could he even do this in this moment? And we can almost kind of have this, this, this thing in our minds that we say, well, Joseph was careless. Joseph was sloppy. He shouldn't have done that. And church, I wanna change our mindset on that just a little bit because I don't believe Joseph was careless in this situation at all. I think that Joseph, in leaving his coat behind, doesn't mean he was foolish, sloppy, or careless. So what does it tell us? I think it tells us that Joseph was more concerned about his purity than his prospects. In other words, he was more concerned about his purity in that moment than the prospect of what might happen to him in the future, than the prospect of him getting accused in the future. That's why the, the emphasis on this text is not on his coat, it's not on his garment, it's on the fact that he ran. Four times that word ran or flee is used in these verses alone. You see, church, Joseph knew that right is right, wrong is wrong, and sin is sin. It is better to have a clean conscience before God and be in prison than do wickedness and sit at Potiphar's table. So church, in order to make the tape of your life count, are you more concerned with your purity or your prospects? Are you more concerned with living right or living comfortably? We must learn to run from temptation, church, because the tape never lies. But then if we are gonna make our life count for Jesus, we must learn a second thing. And that is this, we must learn to suffer well. We must learn to suffer well, look at verses 16 through 20. It's in these verses that we see Potiphar's wife won't give up. And at this point, Joseph has refused her advances verbally. He's refused her advances physically. And she tells this made up story in order to get her revenge. 
She wants to find a way to punish Joseph for not obeying her and sleeping with her. And so now she's done playing defense. She's going to play offense against Joseph. And so she uses the one piece of circumstantial evidence that she had, his robe. So she tells this whole made up story in which she claims that Joseph tried to take advantage of her. So if you look at verses 13 to 15, she says the exact same thing to the servants as she says to Potiphar in verses 17 through 18. So essentially what she's doing here is saying, look at what this Hebrew man tried to do to me. He came and grabbed me and when he did, I screamed. Now look at what happens, church. Potiphar takes Joseph and he throws him into prison. Now, from our vantage point, it might seem like, a, like a, the appropriate punishment for the crime, but I think the evidence would show that Potiphar didn't totally believe his wife. Remember who Potiphar was. He was the chief executioner. He's the captain of the guard. The man can put anyone to death at the snap of his fingers. So let me ask you this. If Potiphar truly believed that another man had attempted to seduce his wife, take advantage of her, do you think he would have just said, I'll just put you in prison? He'd have killed him on the spot. Not a chance. Regardless if that's true or not, we know that Potiphar is angry. Joseph goes to jail. So in this particular moment, Joseph goes from the pit to the penthouse to the prison. He goes from being hated by his brothers and, and tossed in a pit to being a slave, working his way up in Egypt to where everything was under his control and everything was under his power in the penthouse. And now he finds himself in a prison cell. You see, Joseph thought right. Joseph acted right. Joseph was living right. Yet nothing was going right in his life. In other words, Joseph is suffering for doing right. You see, church, sometimes we can suffer in a variety of ways. One, we can suffer because of our own foolishness, meaning when we disobey God, when we make a wrong decision, make a wrong turn earlier in life. It's the kind of the old adage, we reap what we sow. Sometimes we can suffer because of God's discipline. This is where Joseph would fall into. You see, he was doing everything right, yet God chose to discipline him in this moment. You see, because God wasn't done with Joseph. He was still shaping him and molding him and crafting him to be the man that God wanted him to be. Sometimes you can do everything right, yet God still disciplines us. We can also suffer because of our faith, especially when we take a stand on a biblical issue. When we stand out against a, a dark, pervading culture that's trying to take over our lives, we can suffer for righteousness sake, as 1 Peter 3 would say. But then if our suffering doesn't fit in any of those categories, it'll fit in the last one, that we suffer because of our fallen world, where sin reigns in the hearts and lives of men. This is what goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, that we can trace our wickedness, evil, bad things that happen in this world all the way back to that specific moment, and we live in a sin-cursed world. But here's my point, church. The fact of the matter is we really don't need to know why we suffer. Scripture is clear. We are going to suffer. Tough times are going to come our way. We don't get this suffering exempt status because we, we choose to follow Jesus. It's, it's not a thing. But church, the danger is if we spend all of our time trying to figure out why we are suffering, then we can miss what God is trying to teach us in our suffering. 
If we're, if we're in a rough time and, and things are not going well and, and we're certainly not on one of those mountaintop moments, it's easy for us to stand up and point the finger and play the blame game and ask God why and try to figure out and try to reason and try to blame and do all of that and we miss what God is trying to teach us. We miss what God is trying to do in the midst of our lives. And this idea of missing out on God is, is kind of like a wedding. You see, there are many, many details involved in a wedding. There's the venue. There's the officiant. There's the flowers. There's the dress. There's the suit. There's the guest list. There's the time of the wedding. There's the pictures, the photographer, the videographer, the bridal party, the food, the appetizers, the cake, the whole list that are involved in a wedding. But the danger of weddings is that people can spend so much time focusing on all the smaller, tertiary, secondary items that they miss the most important part, that there is a holy marital union happening that is ordained by God between one man and one woman for life. You see, church, the same thing is true in our suffering. It's so easy for us to complain, to deflect, and to pout. But church, if you wanna make the film of your life count, we have to learn to suffer well. We have to ask God what he wants to do in our life right here and right now. You see, it was day after day that Joseph used his suffering to push him closer to God. You see, our suffering will push us away from Christ or it'll make us pursue Christ. Only one of those two things is true. Suffering has this unique ability to kind of move the needle in our life to make us more like Christ or to push us away from Christ. I think C.S. Lewis summarizes it well by saying this. God whispers in pleasures, but he shouts in pain. See, when things are going well, in the pleasurable moments of life, it's our tendency to sometimes become distant, to, to take a few steps back in our faith, to scale back what we are doing. And it's in those moments we can feel that God is distant, we don't really know what he's doing or what his plan is for our life. But it's in those moments of pain, it's in those moments of suffering, it's in those moments of difficulty that God has our attention, that our eyes are now focused on him. And now we can do what he wants us to do. Now we can obey him like he wants us to do in the first place. You see, church, if anyone had learned how to suffer, it was Joseph. Let's just look at his life. He grew up in one of the most dysfunctional families ever. If TV was back then, they'd have had a reality show about his family. His mother died when he was young, didn't have a, have a relationship with her because uh, she died when he was young. His brothers, I mean, that speaks enough because they hated him, they threw him in a pit because his father, he was his father's favorite. They end up selling him to a bunch of nomads. And then he sees one little glimmer of hope. He gets promoted, he has a lot of power, only to be falsely accused of something he didn't even do and thrown back into, into prison. Joseph was no stranger to suffering. You see church, this type of accusation from Potiphar's wife saying he did something he didn't do had to have offended Joseph. It had to make his blood boil. He had to be ready to lawyer up, to stand up and say, this is what actually happened. But look at the text. Joseph didn't defend himself at all. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says, the great preacher. This, speaking of his silence, showed great power. It is hard for a man to compress his lips, saying nothing when his character is at stake. 
So eloquent was Joseph in his silence that there is not a word of complaint throughout the whole record of his life. You see, church, God doesn't operate like we operate. He sees far beyond this situation and knows what needs to be done in the depths of Joseph's heart as he prepares him for greatness in the years to come. So you wanna make your life count for Jesus? You must learn to suffer well because the tape of your life will show how you suffer because the tape never lies. Then we move to the third and final point that really ties everything together and it's this. We must learn to rely on God. We must learn to rely on God. This is in verses 21 to 23. If you would take just a moment, place yourself in Joseph's shoes. Imagine you strap on his size 11, worn, tattered shoes, you're thrown in jail, you're shackled, you're in the prison cell. Imagine what's going through your mind. Imagine the thoughts that are racing through your head. Thrown in jail, something you didn't even do. Not only are you completely innocent, but day after day, week after week, month after month, you resisted her advances. You resisted the temptation. At this point, your future is bleak. You don't know what's gonna happen. All that you know is that you've done all the right things, you've checked all the right boxes, and yet you were suffering because of it. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months. At this point in his life, Joseph is the definition of rejected, shunned, forgotten, and helpless. But church, Joseph had one thing figured out that we must figure out as well. And that one thing was this. You must live for God regardless of your circumstances. You must live for God regardless of your circumstances. It didn't matter if Joseph was in the pit. It didn't matter if he was in prison. It didn't matter if he was in the palace. Joseph was the same person in each of those situations. But here's the sad fact of the matter, church, is that most people today let their circumstances dictate how they act and how they live. In other words, they use their present circumstances as a gauge for their spiritual life that they will say things and think things like this to themselves. Well, if things are going well, I must be living right. If things are going poorly, I must be living wrong. Church, this is not the biblical view. This is not an accurate way to view how our walk is going with the Lord. You see, our outward circumstances are not an accurate measure of our inner spirituality. Our outward circumstances are not an accurate measure of our inner spirituality. You see, for those of us who trust in Jesus, we can continually, day after day, week after week, be obedient to the Lord, and we can trust him supremely. But then look at verse 21 with me. Notice the key phrase that marks Joseph's life in Scripture. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Church, if there's ever a word or a phrase that we can have hope in, that we can take comfort in, it's in these words. The Lord was with Joseph. You see, instead of being bitter, instead of being angry, Joseph served God above all else. Joseph never complained. Joseph never quit. Joseph controlled what he could control, and he left the rest up to God. And as a result, he allowed Joseph to prosper even in prison. 
You see, church, if, if God prospered Joseph in the pit, if he prospered Joseph as a slave, then we shouldn't be surprised to see that he prospered Joseph in prison. None of these terrible circumstances changed or defeated God's plan in Joseph's life. In fact, this was really a part of the refining and shaping and molding process in his life. Now, all eyes up here because it ties everything together. Because Joseph relied on God, he learned to run from temptation. That was point number one. Because Joseph relied on God, he had learned to suffer well, which is why this third point is the key to success. So my question to you is this. Has there ever been a point in your life where you have relied on God? Not just for a moment's time, not just threw up a prayer and said, I hope it, hope it makes its way to God, but a moment in your life where you have repented of your sin, meaning it's a change of mind that leads to a change of action, and you have placed your full weight, the full worries in your life, all the problems that you have, all the baggage that you carry, and said, God, will you take it? Because that was the key to success in Joseph's life. And as we kind of tie the bow on chapter 39 here, I want to draw your attention to a parallel in chapter 39. If you look at verses one through six in the closing paragraph of verses 20 to 23, it uses the exact same words and the exact same phrases to describe God's work in Joseph's life. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Put down the pen for a second, put down the phone, and I want you to open your Bible, and I want you to walk through the text with me, all right? We're gonna see the similarities in the beginning and end of chapter 39. First, both begin with Potiphar's actions. In verse one, we see that Potiphar bought him. And in verse 20, his master, referring to Potiphar, took him and he put him. So it begins with Potiphar doing something. Then we move down and we see that both show where Joseph prospers. Verse two, he prospered in the house of Potiphar. Then you skip to verse 20, and he prospers in the prison of Potiphar. Keep working our way down. Both show why he prospered, which is our, kind of our main key. Look at verse two. The Lord was with Joseph. If you go to verse 23, the Lord was with him. Now go uh, to verse four. We see that both detail the favor that Joseph had received. He found favor in Potiphar's sight in verse four. And then in verse 21, the Lord gave him favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison. Next, he has a lot of responsibility. We've said it many times. Verse four, he put him in charge of all that he had. Verse 22, and he put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. And then finally, look at the trust given to Joseph. Because of him, he had no concern about anything. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge in verse 23. So verses one through six and verses 20 to 23 perfectly align and match up. So what does this mean for us? So Joseph starts the chapter and he ends the chapter in a different location. But we see God is doing the same exact work in his life. I think the author does this to powerfully conclude, wrap it up, tie a bow on this portion. It's almost like he's standing before us today saying these words. Despite the evil intentions of his callous brothers, despite the evil intentions of the Egyptian woman as Potiphar's wife, and despite many other hurdles and challenges along the way, there is nothing that could stop our God. 
There is nothing that can alter. There is nothing that can change. There is nothing that can adjust God's plan for Joseph's life. And church, the same thing is true in your life if you have trusted Jesus. There's nothing that can change his plans if you will simply give all that you are to all that he is in your life. So church, when you go from the pit to the penthouse to the prison of your life, will you trust on God? Will you lean on him? No matter if you lose your job, rely on God. No matter if you have difficulties with a family member, rely on God. No matter if you lose a loved one that was so dear to you, will you rely on God? No matter if you're in the routine of everyday life, you get up, you go to work, you come back home, will you rely on God? If you don't take it from Joseph, take it from Jesus. He said this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So church, you wanna make your life count? Ask yourself this question. Are you relying on your own strength or on God's strength? Do you trust that God knows what's best for you? Because if you, we are sitting here watching the tape of Joseph's life, it shows that Joseph relied upon God. The tape of Joseph's life showed the truth about how he lived. It showed he ran from temptation. It showed he learned how to suffer well. It showed that he put his whole weight, his whole trust in God. Because the tape of your life, the tape of Joseph's life never lies. So as we close, let me ask you this question. If someone, years from now, were to get a hold of the film or the tape of your life, or modern, a YouTube link, and they were to take that remote and they were to hit play on your life. And they were to watch it from the very moment of your birth up until this very moment in your life. What would the tape show? With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around for just a moment, I want you to simply reflect on that question. I want you to examine your own heart and examine your own life. What would they find when they hit play? Would they find a pet sin you're still struggling with that's unconfessed before God? Would they find you being apathetic, lazy towards spiritual things? Would they find you complaining, grumbling, griping? Or would they find fruit demonstrating you follow Jesus? You see, church, the Bible's clear. Everyone is gonna have to give an account for the film of their life. Their film is going to be reviewed. The Bible tells us we will all stand before God one day to give account for what we have done. All the good, all the bad, all the indifferent. But there are two types of accounts that will be given. One is the account of an unbeliever. And they will stand before God. Their sins will be laid out. And they will have nothing to stand on. They will go to God to be judged empty-handed. But there's a second account that will be given. It's the account of a believer. And it's in that moment, church, that when they stand before God, that Jesus 
will step over. And as he hits play on your tape, for those that believe in Jesus, it will show the blood of Jesus Christ. It will show a moment in time where you repented of your sin and you placed the full weight of who you are into the hands of Jesus. It will show that Jesus paid it all. Because there's only one thing on that tape that is ultimately and will eternally matter. And that is what you choose to do with Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if you will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Ask yourself, would your life show that you have done that very thing? What would your tape show? If you don't know what your tape would reveal, if you don't know how much of Jesus is, is kind of sprinkled on the tape of your life, can I encourage you and implore you, would you please reach out to us? We're gonna have a website on the screen. It's called crosspointchurch.com next. That's kind of our one-stop shop for everything. So maybe there's never been a point in your life where you've given your life to Jesus. Can I just invite you to go to that website, crosspointchurch.com next. All that's gonna ask you is for name, number, and email. It's just gonna allow us to reach out to you to have a phone conversation with you and just kind of get to know you a little bit. We would love for you in this very moment to use that link so we can connect with you. Maybe you're a believer, but you've never been baptized. There's a button on there you can hit that says, hey, I'm saved, but I wanna be biblically baptized. Maybe, keep going down the line, you you have a relationship with Christ, you've been baptized, but you're not in a small group. There is no way for you to connect outside of a Sunday morning. If you'll go to crosspointchurch.com slash next, we would love to help you connect and find a group to plug into. Maybe you're not serving. The link is good for serving as well. We would love to help connect you further into the life of our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. For those of you that are in the room, you wanna make a decision today, you wanna get plugged in today, would you go to our next steps table out in the lobby? We have a wonderful, wonderful team in the lobby ready to talk with you, to get to know you and help encourage you with whatever you are going through. So church, my prayer is that the film of your life would be saturated and filled with the markings of God that you would rely on him for he is all that matters. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for my church. I thank you for your word. Lord, and you tell us in your word that it never returns void. And God, I pray that you do a work in the life of our church, just like you've done in my own life and in my own heart this week. God, we are so grateful that you loved us enough that you didn't leave us dead in our sins and our trespasses, but that you came to earth to die for us, to be raised to life so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. God, we are grateful for your truth. We are grateful for your promises today. May we all put our full weight and rely on you. For it's in your name we pray, amen.